Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. My name's James Griffin. I'm just a member here. I'm filling in for Tim as he's playing hooky this week. Uh, I think he went to go pick up his kids in Indiana, uh, like the grandparents watch him for a week every year. Sounds pretty nice, so... I'm very thankful to have a chance to uh, open God's Word with you today. It's always a privilege, and it's always humbling. Anytime you have to look into God's Word first and be taught by it, to, and it's humbling to teach others, because, you know, at the end of the day, who am I, really? So, uh, we've been going through, as a church, we've been going through the book of Acts, and um, when we were discussing this, we were, we were looking at what what should we teach from? What should we go through? And, and I think Tony Tucci actually suggested that we go through the book of Acts. And, and it can be a challenging book because there comes to a point where like, yeah, this happened and this happened and this happened and this happened and then what? You know, like, what's the implication? What's the application for us? You know, how, how, how is it relevant? How does it bear on our lives? And the cool thing about the book of Acts is despite how old it is and despite how, you know, the culture is kind of different from ours, it's really, it's a book that's full of stories about what happens when people meet Jesus. What happens when people hear about the gospel? And if you've never heard the gospel, what it is, it's good news about the grace of God shown to us in Jesus Christ. His coming near to us, his being sent to us by his Father to teach and to heal, to announce the coming of his kingdom to suffer and to ultimately die for the cleansing and forgiveness of our sins, to restore us back to God, to, that we may be declared innocent before him, that we can stand before God and receive his mercy instead of his judgment, and his victory over sin, death, and the devil in his resurrection. That's the good news. And, and the book of Acts is full of stories about what happens when people hear that. And there, it's not always a positive response. But so, as we're, we're getting into like the tail end of the book of Acts, and it's starting to focus in on the life of this guy, Paul. This dude, Paul, was an apostle, and, and, and this is the message, this good news, this, this gospel of the grace of God, that's the message that he was sent to preach. And when I say that he was sent to preach, that's kind of an understatement, because he was actually going on his way to try to stomp the church out of existence, and Jesus Christ cold stopped him in his tracks and turned his life dramatically around and sent him to be like an ambassador, a messenger for the gospel, an, an ambassador of grace. And so throughout the book of Acts, we see Paul going to different cities and preaching the gospel, and, and every time he goes, he encounters two things. One is he sees people's lives that are changed. We see people coming to faith in Jesus. We see people coming to faith in the good news. And so Acts is a lot about um, what happens to people's lives. What happens to people's families? What happens to the communities that grow up and come together through faith in the gospel? What difference does the good news make in somebody's life? So we see some of that. We see that over and over again. And then also what we see is Paul goes these places, he preaches the gospel, and he meets a lot of trouble. 
He meets a lot of hostility. He meets a lot of rejection. He meets, you know, imprisonment and, and getting thrown in jail and getting dragged before city officials and getting run out of town and all these attempts on his life and crazy hostility and a lot of rejection. And, and you got to wonder, what is the deal with this guy? Why is he doing this? What is driving this guy forward despite everything he's going to face? And he lays it out very clearly in, in chapter 20, verse 18 through 25. We, we went over this a little bit last week, but I, th- I just think it really sets the tone for everything we see so, uh, thus far and heading forward in the book of Acts. So I'm going to start in um, verse 18. If you have a Bible, you can open up and follow along. It will be on the screen, or you can just listen. That's, that's kind of what I like to do best. Chapter 20, starting in 18. This is what he's setting out. This is the reason why he keeps going forward. You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, the Jewish leaders. He's talking about Jewish religious leaders. I don't want you to get confused and be like, he's a racist, he's anti-Semitic. Paul was as Jewish as anyone else. So he's, he's one group against his own people. You know, that's just, that's a side note. Um, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit and not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and inflictions await me. So he's saying... I'm heading to Jerusalem. And we know Jerusalem, if you remember from the Gospels, Jerusalem is where Jesus went to die. Jesus says it's the city that, that, that kills the prophets and, and stones those who are sent to them. It's a place where you know you're going to meet hostility. Why is he going? He knows. It's, it's funny because he says, I don't know what's going to happen to me, except I know that wherever I go, I'm going to be in prison. I'm going to suffer affliction. Why is he going? Why does he push forward? And he says it in, uh, in verse 24. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus Christ, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. When you, when you think about what would make somebody leave behind friends and close relationships, what would push someone forward to, in the face of hostility and rejection and disappointment and imprisonment and trials and all these, all these things that this guy was facing? He says it in verse 24, as long as I get to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And that's what I want us to really focus on today. We think about testimony, opening our mouth and, and bearing witness to Jesus Christ. And I, that's at the heart of Paul's ministry. That's at the, at the heart of what drives him forward. And I think that that's at the heart of, of all of our lives when we seek to, to believe in and, and follow and obey Jesus Christ is testimony. I want us to look at, at all the things that Paul is willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel 
just as long as he gets to testify to, to the grace of God in Jesus Christ, just as long as he gets to tell people about Jesus, despite all the trouble and all the drama and all the, the fighting and all the attempts on his life and the, and the poverty and the misunderstanding and the discouragement and the disappointment, the rejection, despite all of that, he's like, as long as I get to tell people Jesus, it's okay. It's all good. And I'm asking that when we would hear this story, we'd look at our own life and be honest and ask ourselves, what am I willing to suffer for the sake of Jesus? What am I, what am I willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel? Do I, do I treasure Christ enough to be willing to suffer for his name? Am I willing to face the dumb looks on people's faces when I tell them about Jesus? Am I willing to face strained friendships or, or, or making a relationship difficult because I open up my mouth and I testify about what Jesus Christ has done in my life? Am I willing to deal with disappointment and discouragement because when I tell people about it, they could care less? Or am I willing to face even outright hostility? Because when I tell people about Jesus, they know exactly what I'm saying and they feel very strongly that I'm a fool and I should keep my mouth shut. Am I willing to, to, to have my name attached to the scandal of the gospel? Am I willing to be misunderstood? Because we see in Paul's life that he knows no matter how many people spit in his face, no matter how many people turn their backs on him, laugh him out of town, or call him crazy, man, he knows some people are going to hear and believe and their lives are going to be changed. And so that is what is driving him forward. That's why he won't shut up. That's why he keeps opening up his mouth. Now, when we see Paul turn towards Jerusalem, it's kind of changing the tone for the rest of the book. You know, like, he's, he's been running around all these different cities preaching the gospel, helping to, to build up churches, and he's been making relationships, and he turns towards Jerusalem, and it's like the drama and the tension get turned up. You know, he's like, he's been on like these, these small side stages, and now he's getting onto the main stage, and he's going to go bear witness in front, of, in front of everybody. And so on his way to Jerusalem, he's staying with different Christians, he's staying with different churches, and he's forced to say some really difficult goodbyes. And, you know, like the relationship between Paul and these disciples is probably very, very deep. You know, they have a deep affection for one another. They have like, um, you know, mutual support for one another. And, and these Christians were probably very, very honored to have him in their presence, very encouraged to have him around. And so, I mean, they know that when he goes to Jerusalem, it's just going to mean trouble for him. And so they're hesitant for him to go on. Like you can see in uh, 21, chapter 21, in verse 10 and 12. Um, while he was staying for many days, he's on his way to Jerusalem, staying with people on the way. He's staying for many days. A prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when he heard this, and when we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go to Jerusalem. So 
Basically, it's like this. Paul's staying at a guy's house, and someone comes up and is like, hey, man, is that your belt? Oh, yeah? Okay, basically, this is how they're going to tie you up and drag you off. The religious leaders, the cultural leaders are going are to tie you up, bind you hand and foot, and they're going to deliver you to the Gentiles. They're going to deliver you into the hands of your enemies. Thus says the Holy Spirit, that's what's waiting for you. Don't go. People start freaking out. They're like, oh my God, don't go. We, we, stay with us. You know, you can be our guest forever. And he's like, look, in verse, 10, he, verse 13, he says, Paul answered, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I'm ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the sake, for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and he said, let the will of the Lord be done. So Paul is willing to suffer loss. Not even imprisonment, but even death. Who is willing to suffer that? Which one of us is going to sign up our kids for that short-term missions trip? And this is, this is really sobering when I read this. Because for many of us, and myself included, so there's some days I'm not even willing to suffer a paper cut for the sake, of the sake of the gospel. I'm not. Some of us, you know, some days it's just true. We're not willing to even suffer an awkward silence. We're not willing to suffer the prospect of rejection. And this cat's like, I'm going to die, whatever. As long as I get to preach Jesus, it's okay. That's crazy, isn't it? And, and I think here's why. Because for whatever else happens to Paul, for whatever faces him, whatever trouble is in store, this is what he gets to be a part of. This is what he gets in on. This is what he gets to play a small role in. Go back to uh, chapter 21, verse 17. When he had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly, and on the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. Relating one by one all the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. For the sake of seeing lives transformed by Jesus Christ through the ministry. And when you hear that word ministry, remember that's like, that is like mundane, routine, everyday common tasks that by themselves are not very impressive. But by the grace of God become opportunities for lives to get changed, for people to come to faith. But just opening your mouth and telling someone about Jesus. Just sharing a story about what God has done, how God has been faithful. And for all the riots and the jail cells and the scars and, and everything he's left behind him, all the places that God, Paul has gone and preached the gospel, he's left behind a trail of people whose lives have been radically changed by the gospel. And I think it's, it's crazy. He goes into like these church leaders and, and all these, these guys in really esteemed, responsible places, and he doesn't complain. He doesn't say, Man, I got, I got rushed out of town here. They had a riot over here. They tried to kill me in this place. Man, I was homeless. I was hungry. Man, I've been lonely. I've been rejected. All this stuff. He's like, 
let me tell you about how God has been faithful in the life of uh, Chris. Let me tell you about how God has been uh, good and, and just showed up in the life of Jason. Let me tell you about how God has, has just done wonders in the lives of fill in the blank, you know? And he's going on and on and on. And so his, the wake of his ministry is littered with lives of, of, that have been transformed by the grace of God. And if I'm being honest, and I, and I know some of y'all can probably relate, that this is something that personally resonates with me because I'm not usually the guy who's most hopeful about what God is doing in people's lives around me. I'm, I'm really, I'm not usually the guy that's very expectant or optimistic about what God is going to do in people's lives. I get in my routine. I, I got my little orbit between home and work and home and work and sometimes church. And it's so easy to just miss and just be oblivious to or take for granted the grace of God in people's lives, you know, and opportunities for lives to be changed, opportunities for me to open my mouth. And that's why I was here on uh, Christmas Eve. How many of you guys were here for Christmas Eve service? Some of you guys. So it was, to me, probably the most encouraging thing that I've witnessed in a long time. We had people come up, maybe like half a dozen people, talk about, share stories from their lives about how things have changed when they met Jesus, how the gospel has changed their life. And, you know, for me, you get a little distance from, from where God has saved me from. You get some distance, and it's easy to forget. It's easy to forget. I was talking to my wife the other day, and we were talking about stuff we did in our, in our youth and childhood, and I'm not going to I'm not going to share her story because that's not my business to do. But it's like, it, it seems like so long ago, it seems like a dream, like it wasn't even real. Like I was, like I, I have a new identity now. And it's true that we do have a new, a new identity, but it's, it's easy to forget that that is the grace of God. That is where God took me from. That is where God met me. And these are the ways that God has redeemed me and restored me this is what God has saved me from. These are the sins that, that Christ has washed away in my life. And to hear your stories is just so encouraging. To be reminded of that. To hear uh, Stan and Cheryl's story was enormously encouraging. For all the Bibles I've tried to give away to people, for all the people I've invited to church, try to share the gospel with, and see nothing no response, no fruit. To have Stan be like, yeah, James invited me to church one day and I came and here's been the difference. That's so encouraging to me. And I'll tell you the truth. When I opened my mouth and, and invited Stan to church, it was borderline dismissive because Stan was trying to get me into like this, this marketing group that he was a part of. <laughs> like again and again and again. He kept bringing it up. And I was, I was honest. I was like, I said, man, I don't have time for all that. Here's what I do with my free time. I'm a part of this church. It's wonderful. You should come. You know, like, you don't know what's going to happen. I had no idea how 
much of an impact that's going to have in people's lives. And, you know, like, we can, we can easily dismiss folks and, like, nothing's going to happen. You're not going to get it. You're not going to understand. But Paul's not, he's not going to, satis- he's not going to settle for that, right? Our job is to sow seed. Our, our job is to just broadcast the message. And some people are going to just be like, nah, forget it. That's not me. Other people are going to take it and hear it and take it to heart, and it's going to transform their lives. So I think that's one of the things that drives Paul forward. Um, and it's so, it's so ridiculously simple, right? Um, it's a source of enormous encouragement to, to Paul and to one another. And, and if we're not about that, we're missing out. Okay. Um, Got to keep going. So Paul's willing to suffer loss so that he can see lives transformed by the gospel, right? Paul's also willing to be misunderstood. Because of Paul's ministry, the fact that he's a Jewish man, grew up in a Jewish nation, in a Jewish culture, and that he took his message to non-Jewish people. He takes his, his message to people who are unlike him, to a different culture. It means that he's always running the risk of being misunderstood. And I, I just, I wish I had more time to, uh, to try and explain to you some of the dynamic, but I'm just so afraid that people's eyes are going to glaze over if I go into it. So just to say this, Paul's working with and serving and taking the message of, of God's grace to a people who are not like him. And that generates some friction and hostility amongst his own people. Um, you can see it in 21, verse 20 and 22. So he's, seeing, he's, he's meeting with the leaders of the church in Jerusalem, and they're like, man, that's amazing. God's doing all these things among the Gentiles. That's great. By the way, there's some vicious rumors going around about you. You see... Here it is in verse, uh, starting in verse 20. You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law. They have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Basically, they're saying this. Paul, it's awesome what God is doing amongst you to the Gentiles. But there's a lot of people here that's saying this and that about you. They're saying that you're telling people to forsake their culture, that if they want to be a Christian, they can't also be this culture or that culture. And that's just plain not true. That's not true. But it shows that Paul is willing to run the risk of being misunderstood. You see it again in verse 27. He's going to the temple, and he's trying to, in an act of like solidarity with his own people, He's trying to show himself that he identifies with his own people. See, Paul's a good missionary. He goes amongst Gentiles, and he's like, I'm going to live like a Gentile. He goes amongst Greeks. He's like, I'm going to live like a Greek. He goes amongst his own Jewish people. He's like, I'm going to be as Jewish as it can be. He knows that what's important is not someone's culture and customs and where they're coming from and what language they speak and how they dress and what music they like. That's not important. The gospel like supersedes all of that. That's that's what needs to get through. And I'm not going to let my culture or my language be a hang-up for anybody. So he goes to the temple trying to like, basically trying to brush these rumors aside. And he gets there and here's what happens in verse 27. 
When seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, men of Israel, help. This man who is teaching everyone, you love this one, right? Everyone, everywhere, against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he's even brought Greeks into this temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen, wait for it, Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul, dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut, and they were seeking to kill him. Paul goes to the temple, and some guy is like, that dude right there hates us. He's teaching everyone everywhere against this people, against the law of Moses, against the temple, against our nation. Get him. This is a risk that we all run. If, if we're open about our faith, if we're actively telling other people about the grace of God in Jesus Christ, some people are just inevitably going to jump to conclusions about us. Some people are just going to stick with their own prejudices, and they're just going to plain miss the point. Now, this is the crazy thing. Paul seems to be completely willing to be misunderstood. And so we need to ask ourselves, am I willing to be misunderstood so long as I get to testify to the gospel of the grace of God? Or am I too afraid of being dismissed by people who just, they're just going to lump me with whatever bad stereotypes that they have about Christians, right? Oh, you're a Christian, so you don't believe in science. Or you're a Christian, so you hate gays and lesbians. Or you're a Christian, so you think you're better than everyone else. And God just loves you so much more because you're such a good person. Some people are just, they're going to miss the point. And, and I'll tell you that I'm thankful to God anytime I get to help dismantle people's stereotypes about the Christian faith. Anytime I get to like turn people's prejudices on their head, that's wonderful. And I'm, and I'm thankful for it. And I love trying to, trying to like basically tear down people's preconceived notions about, about who Jesus is about what the gospel is, about what it means to be a Christian, about the Bible, about all that. I love it. Love skeptics. Love talking with atheists. Love all that stuff. Love poking religious people in the eye. Love it. But here's the deal. At the end of the day, what people think about me and what their opinion is about me is really not that important. I'm not, I'm not all that concerned about it. I'm willing to be misunderstood. I'm willing to be lumped with everybody else, as long as I could tell people about Jesus. I'm trying to be humble. I'm trying to be honest. I'm not trying to be unnecessarily offensive. But at the end of the day, that doesn't really matter. I got to tell somebody. And Paul's like, I got to be completely open and honest with you, whether or not you understand it, whether or not you miss the point. That's not on me. I just got to open my mouth. And I, I honestly, I just want to be unashamed of the gospel. I want to be unashamed, you know? I'm not trying to be the guy who's running around with signs saying, you're bad, this is that, all that. I don't want to be unnecessarily controversial. I want to be as humble and as loving as I can be, but 
You take it how you will. And that's not, that's not my responsibility. All right, so here we go. So Paul's, he's willing to be misunderstood. He's willing to, be, to be, uh, have people miss the point, have people uh, spreading rumors about him. And I think he has a willingness to risk all, to be discouraged, and to scandalize people. Paul is not so afraid of the scandal of the gospel and the trouble that it could get him in that he shrinks back from opening his mouth and telling people about Jesus. Right here, this is the most encouraging thing to me in the world. Paul gets dragged out of the temple by this angry mob that's about to lynch him, is getting ready to kill him. And, and the Roman soldiers come in and grab him, which is like, is like the equivalent of, of someone calling the National Guard in to settle things down. And they're dragging him off. And he's like, wait, 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 wait just a minute. I wanna, can I say something to these people that just tried to kill me? that beat me within an inch of my life when you showed up. So he turns to the crowd, and this is like his defense. And we see it in chapter 22, starting in verse 1. Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I'm a Jew, born in Tarsus, in uh, Cilicia, brought up in the city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous to God, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. So basically, he's saying, "I was just like you. I persecuted this way. This way, he's talking about the Christian faith. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women." as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. What this, what this guy says, what Paul says in his defense, and it's so good and it's so simple. He doesn't go on on like some long philosophical discourse about the proof of God's existence. He doesn't try to make a historical argument about the, the, the resurrection of Jesus. He just starts telling them his story. And he relates to these folks that just tried to kill him. And he says, basically, I was once just like you. I was front row in the angry mob. I grew up just like y'all did, and I can remember standing right where you are now. And I know exactly what you're feeling because I've been there. I know exactly, I understand exactly what you're doing because I've been there. Ask anybody. Ask the high priest. Ask all the elders. Ask around. People know me. And then he goes on, and he says this in uh, verse 6. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were there with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus, and there you'll be told all that is appointed for you to do. Paul is, he says that I was a man not only like you, 
Not only was I in the angry mob, not only was I trying to stop the, stomp the church out of existence, but I was taking the show on the road, on the road to Damascus, right, if you will. And, and that right there, Jesus Christ met me. Right there is Je- was where Jesus Christ confronted me. And, and there, wasn't a, there wasn't anything else left for me to say except, what should I do, Lord? What do I do? And so he, Paul goes into Damascus, he's baptized, he becomes a Christian, and he becomes a witness. The guy who was formerly a persecutor turns into an ambassador, right? The guy who was formerly trying to crush the church and, and smash it out becomes the guy that, that is trying to build churches up and spread the gospel. And, you know, he's a witness He's got to go tell everybody what he's seen and what he's heard, regardless of whether or not they believe it. And he's going to go to a lot of places where people are going to reject him. And, it, and he's got to tell them anyway. And it's basically this. This is who I was. This is what happened when Jesus met me. And here's the difference. What else should I do? I got to tell people. What can I do? I can't ignore him. And This is what the Lord sent me to do. And so this is encouraging to me and I hope to the rest of y'all because sometimes we can overthink this. We think we need to have all the answers. We think we need to have everything matched up in a row. We have to be some great shining example for people or we maybe put the apostles too high up on a pedestal that we can't look to them as a real example when we start to think, man, God could, could never use me for anything like that. But here's the deal. We all have this story. We all have this. We all have, that's the crazy thing is, is, man, Paul talks about I was sent, God sent me to the Gentiles and the crowd's here and they're like, man, get this guy out of here. He doesn't deserve to live. They hear, they hear that he was sent away from his own people and they're like, I don't want to listen to you no more. But they don't like it. They don't accept it. They don't believe in it, but they still have to deal with the fact, man, that this, this, life, this guy's life is dramatically changed. Now, here's the deal. When we tell others about Jesus Christ, man, they can do what they want with the gospel. They can, they can make what they want of Jesus. But when we tell them, like, look, this was my life, and this is what happened, and the difference is, is the gospel of Jesus Christ, they got to deal with that. I mean, this guy's life changed dramatically. This guy's trying to run the church out of existence. And here he is, in chains, getting drugged before an angry lynch mob because God sent him to preach the same gospel that he was trying to silence. What, what do you make of that? You might not believe in Jesus, but you've got to explain that somehow. I mean, that confronts us. And, and here's the deal. That's what is so encouraging about this is because we all have this personal story. We all have this, this, this moment in our lives when, when Christ confronted us. You know, I, I can remember being like 24, like 24 years old and uh, some dude at my work just gave me a Bible, you know, probably gives out tons of them. Most of them probably end up in the trash or at St. Vinny's. And he gave me this Bible, and I, and I read it. 
And I said, man, I have no clue what any of this means, but this is the most astonishing thing I've ever read in my life. And I got to this part where it talks about Jesus dying for our sins. And I was like, man, I believe that. I believe that. And I was like, I was like, I, I, I was living with Alexis and we weren't married and I had gotten her pregnant and we were like fighting all the time. We were beefing like crazy and I was just so selfish and so was she. And I was so immature. And, and here's the wild part. Both of us had been sober for like multiple years. We had left the drugs and the alcohol alone, but we still had that crazy. We still had it. And that's where God found me. That's where God met me. And I, it's like he put me in a headlock and was like, you don't love that woman. You don't, you don't love your child. You love only yourself. You're crazy immature. And, and, and God convicted my heart. And he's like, you need to put a ring on it. You need to be faithful to that woman. You need to honor her and cherish her. And your anger and your selfishness is unjustified. And that's where God met me. And to be very honest, my wife's story is even more miraculous than mine. And what Here's the thing, people who knew us back then and they know us today, whatever they make of Jesus Christ, whatever they, they think about the gospel, they have to explain that. They, have to, they see that and they have, to, they have to deal with it. Here is who I was. Here's what happened when I met Jesus. What else can I do? What else can I say but give the rest of my life to him? You believe it, you accept it, or you don't. But that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. That's really simple. You don't have to be a scholar. You don't have to be a, a philosopher or a theologian. You don't have to be, even be eloquent. You know, that's something we all have. And it, at the end of the day, what we can gain, what we can take from all of this this guy who's going to the utmost ends of the world, getting in all sorts of trouble for the gospel, what we can take from all of this, man, is just a simple willingness to open our mouths and just tell people what happened to us. Just tell people what Christ has done in their lives. In spite of what we might lose, in spite of the fact that we might be misunderstood, we might cause a scandal, we might have to deal with a certain amount of discouragement and disappointment with cats who could care less. We might even have to deal with some hostility and rejection for people who are like, I know what you're saying and I hate it. As long as we get to testify to the grace of God. As long as we get to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. It's okay. It's all right. So, uh, the, the musicians are going to come up. We're going to do some more worship. We're going to have an opportunity to take communion, to remind ourselves of the immensity of God's grace in sending his son to have his body broken for us, to have his blood shed in atonement for our sins. We're going to have an opportunity to lift our voices in praise thank, and thanksgiving for what God has done, to confess who God is. 
And we have an opportunity uh, for prayer. There's always people in this back, um, I guess it'd be my left-hand corner, to pray with you. We have an opportunity to give, you know, because God is so graciously given to us that we get to give him back a little bit of something of what he's given us. So we have this opportunity, and uh, I'm, thank- I'm as thankful as anyone that we get this chance. And this is, this is encouraging to me because if, if you're anything like me, you just get worn down. Everything just seems mundane. And I'm like, man, where is the grace of God? What is God doing? But we see in the life of a dude like Paul, you know, who's just a regular dude who does regular things. And by the grace of God, these regular things become extraordinary opportunities for grace. So... I'll pray and uh, we, can, we can join in and worship together. God, we're thankful. We're thankful, God, that, uh, that you block our paths and you turn us around. We're thankful, God, that you reach down into really dark places to, uh, to take us, to take us to you to wash us clean by the blood of your son, Jesus, to give us a new life by your Holy Spirit, to give us a new identity and to put us in a new family, Lord. And we pray that um, in the days ahead that you would make us confident and bold to open our mouths, to, uh, to tell people what happened, to share with others the goodness and grace that we found in your son, Jesus Christ and not worry so much about how people will take it or perceive it, but just to be faithful and obedient, to open our mouths, Lord. Uh, Would you give us joy and hope and expectation, and would you meet us in these days ahead as we seek to obey you, Lord? Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen? All right.